everybody, and welcome back to the seventh episode of the Polychromatic Podcast. I'm your co-host, Zach, along with... Co-host Elaine, Zach's mom, and oh my gosh, it can't be seven. It's looking that way. Actually, it's eight. Whoa, we got, we're losing count already. Yeah, it's already 8.24 on Sunday. Where'd this week go? You know what? I really had planned, as you had as well, to do another podcast midweek, and it just didn't happen. And we're going, whoa, we got to really get back into this because we're enjoying it so much. And my week seemed kind of empty without it. Yeah, I'd say so. It's uh, crazy how time definitely gets away from us. So, um, all right. So anyways, um, yeah, today we uh, went to church and we went grocery shopping. So now we got a full fridge full of food again. So we don't have to uh, go shopping, what, for hopefully three weeks again? We are doing so well. We tend to plan our menus really well. I'm quite impressed um, with little waste. And we buy a variety of things. And then we have them freeze the meat half and half so we can kind of split it up so we're not eating something so so much at once. And yet, it's, isn't it awesome, Zach, to go over there, open the fridge, and it's totally full? It's like, oh, we actually can can have have a selection of food here. Yeah, and uh, we've been really heavily into the uh, into the barbecue chicken. Oh my gosh. That's a specialty here at this house again. Well, yeah, the way you make it is oh goodness. <laughs> I come home from work. I can't tell you what this is like. And I'm starving because I just have a protein shake because my job is nonstop from the time I get there till I leave. And this has happened a couple times where I walk in and I smell that barbecue and I'm like, oh, I love you so much. It's barbecue chicken night. <laughs> yep. Well, I know how your tail is a wagon, is a wagon when um, each time I make it, because first, you know, used to not really be into uh, barbecue chicken, but I think I, I snuck one past you there and got you pretty hooked. Well, I think for me, it was mostly that you hear about barbecued beef and um, the barbecue chicken I guess I never really thought of that much. I, you know, I know it's around now, but it's always, always thought that beef was the go-to for barbecue sauce, you know? And then we found this Austin, is it Austin's, isn't that the title? It's the, Austin's own. Austin's own. Oh, you guys, you got to try it, man. That stuff has a little zing to it, but it's the flavor's magnificent. And what Zach does is he puts it in what I call a crock pot. I don't, not sure that's the term for what he uses, but it's similar to that. And man, he lets it cook all day long. So when it's done, oh my gosh, the chicken is so tender and the, the barbecue sauce has had an opportunity to really marinate with the meat. Ugh, yum, yum, yum. And also we, um, <clears throat> we took um, something that we previously enjoyed and, and uh, you know, we were really at one time both really heavily into Noosa yogurts. But Noosa's really kind of gone down the drain. I think there's a lot of water content. I don't know what they've changed with it, but it used to be a lot better. It used to be a lot creamier. And uh, so what was funny is we used to buy them. We used to fight over the yogurts. You know, uh, how many have you had, you know, et cetera. And then finally it reached the point where we were not eating them. And we were kind of trying to want to figure out why. Well, I'd gotten away from eating them some, and I think you had as, as well. So we we're finding yogurts at the back of the fridge that were going to waste, and they were expensive. They're like $1.79, $2 each, something like that. And so finally, um, I took the plunge one day, and um, I saw we, 
which is French for yes, by the way. And all I got to say is wee oui, wee oui, because uh, the wee oui yogurt, which is a French yogurt by Yo Yoplait, um, oh my gosh, they are these, what are they, the $1.79 normal price, uh, $2.19 for the coconut one. So what originally started for me is I saw the coconut ones and saw they were $2.19, like, eh, just, you know, just to try out and, you know, see how they were. And then I didn't realize this, but they actually had regular yogurts that were cheaper. And let me just say, uh, it reminds me a lot of when I first tried Nusa. Um, you're getting high quality yogurt. And uh, I don't know, I guess uh, Nusa was Aussie yogurt, uh, Aussie style yogurt, um, which I think, I, I'm not sure if it's 2% or what kind of milk they used, but it used to be a lot creamier. This is actually whole milk. And if you know anything about the French, with the way that they make cheese and the way that they make dairy. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. <clears throat> Voila. They, uh, they get really serious. They actually um, mix a lot of air into their dairy products. It gives it that really fluffy, fluffy texture. And, um, you know, the, the French are very serious about their cheeses. So if that's any kind of testament to their dairy products, I can tell you that, and again, <laughs> some people might be listening to this podcast and saying, you don't know what the hell you're talking about because that's not French yogurt. Well, if that's the case, then I'm all the more impressed because, you know, Yoplait has nailed it with this. And um, I think it's different enough that to me, I mean, I think the quality is there between the fruit and the, uh, and the yogurt. I think... They really were smart to put this in glass, yeah. too. The gla you know, no matter what anyone says, I mean, I'm older. We used to have milk delivered in glass bottles. Milk tastes different in glass bottles than it does cartons, You plastic, and also the, the uh, paper cartons. And I just have to say that this is, it comes in little, these are really cute little glasses that they, that they come in. And we're thinking we should do something really cool with these glasses and make them into candles or something because they're really adorable. And I don't know, maybe we'll do that and give some for gifts or something because they're just really cute and they're nice. They're nice glasses. But anyway, I'm, I back Zach all the way. Um, honestly, when I used to eat Noosa Zach, I felt like I, I, we both love whipping cream. I almost felt like there's a whipping cream mm -hmm. texture and flavor, and it was just like, I would just sit there in front of the TV. I was in California at the time when Zach discovered them. He told me about them. And I went and bought a couple, and I went, oh, my gosh, these, I would just take little teeny bites because I wanted to sa savor it that much um, for hours, <laughs> as long as I could. And, uh, yeah, it's true what he said. We we were finding that we were buying nooses, and we're going, oh, I really don't want that. And so... Thanks to Zach, we found the Wii's and, you know, they're not real big, but they're big enough. Yeah, sometimes I'm wanting more than one. But I will say this, when I first came across the nooses, I was getting completely cracked out on them. Um, I remember I would buy, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen. Here's the thing is, <clears throat> back in the day, um, you know, my go-to yogurt, and you can laugh, okay, is I would get the just standard Yoplait ones, not the, you know, sugar-free or low-calorie ones, but just the standard Yoplait ones. And back in the day, I think they were like maybe 45 cents, 50 cents each. And this is back when I was a poor student. And um, I remember I had a hard time justifying maybe spending, you know, uh, um, you know, paying for four or five yogurts on a given weekly trip. And when I got the nooses, I was pulling, you know, six, 
12, 18 in my cart. <laughs> and, you know, usually shotgunning two of them at a time, back to back, sometimes three or four. I think at one point, I know it, not exaggerating, I think eight, five in a row. I know <laughs> it sounds funny. And then, you know, with these, um, and then, you know, like I said, the, with the nooses, they just didn't feel like they, they, uh, the, they maintained the quality throughout the pandemic. That's why I started to notice a difference. It's a lot more watery. And uh, independently, um, my good friend Scott also had noticed this, and you had noticed this as well. So I feel like we weren't crazy, but someone completely outside that I asked, you know, I, I think I might have gotten Scott into the nooses as well. I'm not 100% sure on that, but, um, you know, he, he noticed the same thing independently. And so um, I showed him uh, the Wii yogurt the other day, and he's like, dude, this is just exactly like the way the nooses used to be. Um, you know, several years back. And so anyways, the, the moral of the story is I need to be watching out how many of those I eat because I'm not mobile anymore, you know, or not as mobile since I'm still doing physical therapy. Um, suffice to say, this is a little bit embarrassing, but I've gained 15 pounds. And part yeah, of that but you're is... Slim, slim dude to begin with. It's not that big a deal, but I know it bothers you, you know. Yeah, well, and anyways, the, the bottom line, all I just wanted to say is, yes, they're, they're, they're sold in glass, um, they're amazing. They, they taste amazing. They're high quality. Um, but they do have, they do have about seven grams of fat per, per each one. And as far as using the glass, you know, we were originally planning, um, well, at least I pl was planning on recycling them somehow, you know, using them in various ways, not just recycling them. It's sad to see all that glass, you know, go. And it's very unusual to see things that are, you know, um, packaged in glass. So, but, you know, we have a whole grocery bag, a whole big, you know, um, uh, paper bag, you know, double two or three ply um, grocery bag, just sitting here in our kitchen, full of them. That ones, ones that we've washed. Um, I would say if they were like another, maybe two or three ounces larger, I think we could use them as cups. But they're just kind of small for for the purpose of repurposing them as as uh, drinking glasses. Well, you know what? We're just gonna have to be creative because I think we'll find more than one way to to use them. But. Uh... I think that Noosa needs to step up, step it up. And I'm wondering overall, we'll have to check this out just on our own and see if their sales have gone down because really it's not the same. And we used to just, like Zach said, they would mouth watering. So yeah, we're with the Wheeze and bye-bye Noosa. So anyway, yeah. what do you think? Um, before we did our podcast this evening, we were watching Netflix and there was this... Um, documentary we came across um, about the Murdoch murders um, in South Carolina, and it's a big scandal in 2019, and we became kind of Hooked. enmeshed with uh, watching this, and we're going, wait, we got a podcast to do, but honest to goodness, I don't know where this is going to go, but we watched about one and a half. We watched the first episode, about half of another one. We said, nope, we got to go do our podcast, but Whoa, I was just like taken back by the lack of of care that the Murdoch's very wealthy family who have had centuries, well, maybe not centuries, but I want to say generations of their male members. I don't know if, I don't know that there's any females, that's why I'm saying male members have become attorneys. And some of the things that they're doing to try to cover up this number one death Supposedly, from the beginning, they said that there's five deaths connected to the Murdochs that happened in six years. 
And so we're, we found out what the first death is. So we'll be, we'll keep you posted on that one. If you want to, if you, if you like documentaries, um, I think this one's actually, actually pretty good. So I would, I would recommend it so far. I mean, even after just one and a half episodes, I, I was pretty, um, into it. I would say the two words I can think of is it was mesmerizing as as much as it was um uh I was enraptured mm-hmm. by what I was seeing and it's like just like any good book that you would pick up or any really good movie is um you can easily get lost and and be telling yourself only one more episode only one more episode before long you're binge watched the whole thing so I don't know how many episodes it is but um <laughs> If it ends up being four to six, it's probably easily single sit down or two two times sit down, you know, to be able to oh, complete easily. it. Easily. But my problem, as I've mentioned before in this in our podcast, is that I start watching this stuff and I mean I can't stop watching it. And that's why I watch movies. I mean, there's a lot of series I know that are that have been recommended to me and are really good, but I just have a very hard time when to stop, you know? It is like reading a good book. Like you don't want to put it down. You want to know where it goes. And that's the way some of these series are. And this one just seems really intriguing. And also it very upsetting and very disappointing considering, um, I don't want to give anything away, but the whole attitude of the Murdoch family after this first death was just unbelievably sad and um, disappointing that people really don't care more. And I'm, it, it really bothered me, but anyway. Well, I was going to say one other thing is, you know, to me, I think I noticed the other day when I was on your TV, I said, man, that guy looks crazy. So the cover art for this shows, you know, Papa Murdoch, I think it is. I don't know what his name is, but um, and he's got like black eyes. He like, I mean, I don't mean to judge people because, you know, it's not good to judge a person by the cover, but I saw the very intense look on his face. You know, I'm not sure if he's drunk or, but you know, the way he's, he's looking at, at the camera and the way that his eyes are kind of, I mean, just the way it's shot, his eyes look like they're black. He, he kind of has uh, given off a bit of an antichrist kind of vibe, I feel like. Um, we have to watch the rest of it to really kind of develop our own opinions. So I don't mean to judge a person based on their looks alone, but I, the cover art is what really made me interested. Well, his eyes look like daggers coming yeah, at you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, dagger ugh. eyes. That's yeah, a good way of eyes. putting it. So anyway, that's what we've kind of been up to. And a uh, very productive day for me. I got up early this morning. I'm trying to get into being more productive at home. I work a lot of hours at work. Well, I work 40 hours, but my days, as I said, are jam-packed. So I don't often have a lot of energy and with things we've been through, um, with Zach losing his leg. And then I had major surgery in November. I'm still recuperating from that. So I'm trying to start getting back into my life and getting things organized a bit around the house and going to start get touching base again with some people I really love. I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, so today was a good day for me. Yeah, I had a good day as well. And, um, you know, it's weird how the weeks have been going by really fast, but, um, I'm also involved in physical therapy and, uh, things seem to be going pretty well with that. I'm able to spend some, some time upright, um, self-ambulating, um, you know, without 
crutches, but it's it's kind of limited because I can get exhausted very very easily. Um, you know, I, I I would say it depends, but for me, you know, uh, walking sustained. Um, you know, like I am at PT walking thirty feet, my muscles are just completely tired. But I am seeing progress. You know, oh slowly. man, it's so cool. He actually is walking now without his hand. His um, well, not completely. Well, you were today. I know without them. Yeah, and not saying completely like you're doing it all a hundred percent of the time. But you you were on your leg quite a bit today without them. And oh my God, you're looking good, Zach. I mean, it was really impressive at church because. So many people just had big smiles on their face. And one gentleman, it was just so kind, said something similar to, you do not believe how happy it makes us to see you with your leg. And that, that it's it's a source of inspiration for people to yeah. see, you know, where I was to, to where I am now, you know, where I'm able to spend some time, um, you know, and again, you know, I'm not able to weight bear through the prosthesis. I mean, it causes pain and stuff, but... But there are moments where I'm able to walk without them, you know, for short, very short periods. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to see some of this function coming back because it's really hard to be constantly presented with that. I mean, there's still a lot of challenging aspects to my life nonetheless, but I do feel blessed to um, have the prosthesis. And also things on the GoFundMe front um, have been going awesome. Um, uh, you know, um, Lily uh, from that family, uh, she donated again. Bless her heart. This is the third time she's donated, and um, God, you know, it, I'm very touched by by um, <laughs> that entire family and how they invited me in, almost like a member. Um, you know, like I said, I knew Andrew from work, and um, you know, um, the entire family they chipped in. The, I mean, we're talking about thousands of dollars um, to help. Uh, you know, really, <laughs> really push the GoFundMe. You know, into the, into the thousands um, for support, and um, ultimately, we'll see. But um, I'm either going to use that money to help um, buffer me through with health insurance, you know, to uh, my Cobra health insurance um, until I can get back to work and or um, I've done some research. There's actually a play, guy out of Texas. Um, his name's Lane. Um, he, too, is an amputee right around the same time I had my amputation or not an amputation. Sorry, at the same time that we had cancer around 2005. Um, I think he would, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think he ended up with his amputation around the time I ended up with my endoprosthesis. Suffice to say, he developed what was something uh, called the hydro hand clutch. And it basically allows you to drive a car that, um, has a clutch and it's actually in a race car. Um, uh, should tell you kind of, um, you know, uh, it's, it's track record. It's, you know, um, where it's being tested on, you know, on the proving ground that's being tested. And uh, it's pretty impressive. It means that you can actually drive a, ca a car using a hand clutch rather than a foot clutch. You know, it's so amazing. Um, just beginning to enter the world of prosthetics and the things that are available, it's amazing how creative people have been. And, and even just with Zach's prosthetic, what an incredible piece of equipment it is. And it just... Um, it blows my mind because without going through this experience, I would have not known that. And um, yeah, I thought that was really cool, Zach, because one of the biggest things that Zach was having problems with is not being able to drive his Miata. And I totally understand. They're such fun little cars. And it's kind of like the heart of the family Miatas are um, because we've had them in our family for quite a long time. And really, uh, to find that out, Zach, 
that gave, that really inspired him because he thought, oh, if I can get this done, man, this is so cool because I can still drive the Miata. So it provides hope because that's one under yet another sacrifice. And, you know, um, that was one way, even back when I had my endoprosthesis, the fact that I could still operate a clutch, you know, it made me feel less limited and um, to not be able to drive that and go back to driving an automatic, which it's an automatic that also has damage. And now I have to figure out its emissions situation. It just, it makes me feel more hopeful all around. So I'd say all around good vibes. It's just taking time to get there. And then the last thing is, um, you know, I did spend, um, you know, some limited time at work and I also, um, ended up, uh, going to a lab meeting as well. So it was just good for my headspace to, um, to test out the waters. I can tell you, I'm not physically there yet to be able to consider going back to work, um, you know, at this point, even part-time, but I can picture, you know, uh, um, a month or two from now, you know, uh, some time down the road in the next several months, you know, considering the possibility of actually going back to work, um, you know, part-time. And I'll have to assess what that means, whether or not that means, you know, a a physically, uh, a job that, you know, balances physicality with sitting, or if I need to um, rely on something that's more, you know, because I I just don't know what a full week's looking like at this point since, you know, one day, not even one day, but, you know, a very limited portion of one day, um, you know, I'm just not there with endurance. And to think that I'd have to rinse, lather, repeat that, you know, not even necessarily for five days in a row, but a couple of days in a row, take a day off a couple of days in a row. Um, at this point, is just too overwhelming, too challenging for me to think about. But just as far as me going back to work, you know, doing some gel, genotyping gel electrophoresis, um, and to be able to get the results on those um, was really cool. And it's just on a volunteer basis. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, I've got my short-term disability because I'm just not, I'm just not there yet, you know, and, uh, or sorry, it's long-term disability at this point, but um, and not last but not least, um, you know, my boss, uh, you know, Jerry, he, he's really, you know, uh, come through in a lot of ways. I won't really go into too much detail about it, but suffice to say, he's been like a father and he's really watched out, you know, uh, for me with, uh, everything that's been going on. And I think that's a rare thing in today's world. Most, most, you know, situations nowadays, um, you're treated like a number. And I think if it was any other job, I feel like I would have been let go a long time ago and, um, you know, uh, would have been fired and probably wouldn't have been able to collect on this, um, this disability benefit, which to which I was rightfully entitled. I, I worked my butt off for that job and I'm glad that I did. I don't really necessarily have regret, but I will say that I do have a work ethic. That's like your work ethic, which is you and I both kind of take things to far off extremes. And I know that in the future I will work hard, but I do need to balance my, um, you do need to balance the work-life balance in a way where um, I'm, you know, taking things easier. Absolutely. And I just have to say, I'm super, super proud of you and your de- with your determination and as always not giving up, but saying, you know what, I'm going to make this work. And um, really an inspiration to me. I mean, you are my son, but it truly is an inspiration. I just want to tell you, you're the best. Thanks, mom. You're the best. I, you know, I couldn't have done it without you. And, um, you know, I, I think that in life when we're presented with these challenges, these, you know, unique challenges, and we each in our life have our own unique challenges, but especially when it's something so adverse, like, you know, losing a limb, you have to realize even with all that grief and, um, all of that pain and agony and sorrow and both physical and mental, um, 
that you have to make a choice because otherwise you're making the choice for you in an unwittingly way that you decide to give up when you don't know that just holding on that not only things will get better, but maybe they were even better than they were when they started because those chronic health issues really tied into this. And, um, you know, in some ways I'm still not there, but I do see myself energy wise. I think you'd agree. My energy has been a lot better than it's been, um, in the past seven years. So that's, that's promising. And, and things seem to be getting slowly better with my leg. Again, I, I can't imagine, you know, actually being on it and it being, you know, pain-free and all these different kinds of things, but I've made huge progress. You have to really take every win. And I'm glad that my body's back to, you know, virgin vanilla, no metal, you know, in this body. <laughs> and um, I'm excited about that because I think that's something that's been keeping me sick. You know, just briefly, um, when you talk about your energy, it is so much better. I remember when you'd come to visit me in California and I'd be wanting to do things with you. And I know that your heart was into wanting to do things, but physically you were just so tired. And I, and this is before we really figured out what was all going on with you after all the several specialists that you went to and no one could figure it out. But I think backing up now and looking back in time, um, as we've mentioned before, I think you had this infection for a very long time and it was just so frustrating that this couldn't be detected. But no, it's interesting because Zach, people that even haven't seen you in a while, they're like going, whoa, you look so good. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's true because, you know, you don't have that darkness under your eyes where you look just like you're tired and, and you and you just are so much more energetic and... So I, th- I, it's, it's nice to have you back, Zach. Um, not that, you know, you weren't playful and fun when this was going on, but, you know, just to see that, that playful spirit come back within you. And even when you're learning to maneuver this new piece of, uh, machinery on your leg, um, you're doing amazing. And I'm, I just, um, it's, it's really great to watch because it's, I know that going through this whole thing has been really hard for both Zach and I just because of what it is. And I think other people that maybe have gone through the loss of a limb would understand, but it's a very hard, hard process to go through and in its own way for the person. And if you really love someone watching them go through it. So anyway, it's, it, it's all getting better. And these podcasts are helping because we're reaching out. We feel like we are, connecting and um that's pretty exciting so yeah all in all i mean i i love our positivity and i i vote we keep that up zach thanks mom and um i appreciate everything you said and i definitely feel that way i would just want to say one last thing we'll we'll get to the topic at hand here but i just wanted to say that um for comparison's sake part of me is still very scared when it comes to life of just about things but the real difference is back then when I had my unexplained health issues and they weren't really being treated 100% seriously. I mean, I had some angels in my life, like my oncologist and stuff that was helping treat the symptoms and stuff. So I wasn't completely, you know, um, out to drive, but hung out to drive. But the thing is this is now compared to back then, back then to be feeling the way that I felt and to have that fear and just feeling like things at a moment's notice are just going to break down. And then, of course, you know, we get to the next day, next week, next month, and saw that they weren't, but I still wasn't feeling well. It's such a huge far-off departure compared to where I'm now, which is 
you know, I think my fears are more naturally understandable. Not that back then they they weren't. Um, you know, again, I think I feel vindicated given all the, the fact of everything that we found out that um, there's there there's definitely a strong connection. But it's not all of it; it is a big contributor of it. And let's just say this is that you know, um, with where I'm at now, I do have you know, I'm uncertain about things, and you know, I'm there's a new. This is a whole new chapter in my life, a whole nother, you know, big detour. But um, even with that fear and stuff, the other difference is you're, you're, you're out here. I mean, we spent 13 years apart and to have you here, you know, to have a place to come back home that feels like home. You know, we cook dinner, we have dinner together. Um, that was some other aspect that was missing too, because, you know, I was living here alone. You were living alone out there. I would come home and I would just force myself to eat, not because I really, you know, even want to put the effort into eat, you know, to cooking for myself. So um, I'm very grateful for that. And I feel like I'm in a lot better place. Well, I do too, Zach. And it's such a joy to be, have someone to eat food, to eat a meal with. And we've been making some really great, great meals. I, I Zach is probably cooking a lot more of the major meals than I am because he is He's home in the day. So it's like, you know, I, I've been working 10 hour days and I, you know, I do a lot of other things, but he's, he's a fantastic cook. And, and I don't know if he really knew that before now, but just to have someone to eat with, same thing for me, Zach, when I was in California, man, I would just eat, like I'd, I'd eat a ton of salads because it was easy. And it was just like, I would just make myself a salad and sit down and watch TV and eat my salad and just go, you just need to eat because you need to eat. But it yeah. wasn't enjoyable. It and wasn't. Now it's just enjoyable to have your company and the food's amazing. And it's just, it's wonderful. It really is. We are really taking full advantage of this time while we have it. And um, yeah, so in that sense, it's truly a blessing. All right. So I'm sure anyone that's viewing this on their mobile phone or on the website or however else you find our podcast out there, I already know what the topic is, right? Because we've already labeled this already on the website, but here it comes. Drum roll. Let's see. Hold on. I was supposed to be ready for this. Oops. That's the wrong one. Drum roll. I think the drum, hey, what happened to the drum roll? Well, we don't have a drum roll. All we have is, is, okay, which okay. is a joke. You so, know what? so let's, let's do a little drum together. You know what I'm thinking we need to do? We need to get some more sound effects. You know, to make this really fun, we're going to work on sound effects. We need an intro and outro, too. Intro and outro. Yeah. You know what? I want some music, but that's another topic. We won't even go into it. And if you're musically inclined, you know, and uh, you think that you could uh, make something unique for us, I personally like, uh, you know, 80s music and stuff. My mom's probably more into classic rock, but if you... if if you're ever so motivated and you want to contribute in that way, um, just hey, stay in touch with let us. Let us know because we're looking for some good music and, and... suggestion for our sound effects too. Mm-hmm. And we, we can already to... add the drum roll to the to the list. Hey, I'm thinking about all kinds of sound effects. We just need to make a list and get them together. But no, anyone that would love to contribute, hey, we would <laughs> love to, for, for you to contact us, and we would we would love any help we can get because. You know, again, we want to make this as entertaining as we can, as well as connecting with all of you. Yep. All right. So I'm going to do this old cliche saying without further ado. It's just, just, oh my God, it's so oversaid on the internet. (laughs) Rate, comment, subscribe. Uh, Without further ado, 
Uh, smash that like button. Oh God! First it was hit the like button. Now smash the like button. Of okay. course, we've Every- got to change it. Up I don't a know whoever bit. the hell decided to switch it to smash, but everyone's like, "Oh, the smash bat, smash man wagon, smash sounds so cool." Um, it gets irritating. Okay. Well, Zach, I'm I just salty. think I just think that's groovy. Is what I have to yeah, say. Yeah, groovy. There we go. I like that. Groove the like button. <laughs> Groove the like button. <laughs> that doesn't sound appropriate. All right, here we go. So the topic for today is artificial intelligence. So, um, wow. Um, you know, this is a topic that probably I'll be doing um, a little more of the breakdown about just, I'm not an expert, first off. Let me just preface by saying I'm not an expert, okay? Um, did I grow up around technology? Yes. Um, am I, you know, generally speaking, maybe more technologically minded than your average person? Potentially. But I'm not um, creating artificial intelligence uh, stuff um, myself. Um, do I understand kind of not the inner workings, but how it works in general? Yes. Um, you know, anyone that's got, you know, basic computer background will at least kind of understand that it works basically off of, you know, programming principle, but rather than being written by the programmer to act in one specific manner, like the way that normal programs work, artificial intelligence, um, basically works off of a principle of training. And so what it does is uh, you'll create a system and you'll teach the system based on either manually audited data that a human said is good data, um, or potentially the language model, or not language models, the models themselves can actually be self-retraining. So, so to put it to you this way, Back in the day, if a programmer wanted to add a feature or sorry, add logic to a program, they'd have to manually say, if this, then do this. Else, if do this, do this other thing. So if this, then this, if that, that, then that, if that makes sense. So you just set up different rules and what they were back in the day is they'd be called if statements, right? Well, when you get into artificial intelligence, you you go much beyond that. Instead, what you have is you have whatever information you're, you're adding into the model. And then you have uh, uh, specifically um, a training data. So this is data that you're adding into the system that you're wanting to see whether or not um, this data fits with the existing data. But it does so in a very complicated way. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail. I did take um, online just for fun. Um, this was before... I uh, had my leg reinfected and stuff as I was considering maybe going back to school potentially to um, get um, a master's in data science. So I'm a little more familiar than your average person, but basically it's a way that mathematically you can look at all of the information and say, is this statistically related? And if it is statistically related, it allows you to interpolate in a way that was no, that was previously not possible. So let me give you an example of artificial intelligence to start off. So, do you remember back in the seventies with Pawn, or any or or any or any video game for that matter? So you, so you remember Pawn? Pawn was the one where it was boop, boop. Oh, Pong. Boop, boop. Yeah. P. I thought you said Pawn. P a w n. You're talking about Pong. P o n g. Yes, I do remember Pong. When you said Pong, I thought you said Pawn, and I was going, "What's no. he talking about?" Pong. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I don't know if you remember, but you could obviously play against two people, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So you could play with a friend and that's just 
like playing, you know, um, table tennis with your friend, you know, whether or not that's playing ping pong or playing tennis, right? Well, you might have at some point, or maybe not, you might have decided to turn on that Atari without another person. And then you played against what was a computer opponent. Mm -hmm. It would say like CPU or computer, usually computer. And the question is, what were you playing against? You were playing against the computer, right? Yeah. Just like if you were to want to play chess on your computer, right? There used to be chess programs both on Mac and PC back in the day, you know, Mm -hmm. in the 90s and 80s. And before that with DOS, et cetera. But I'm just thinking, you know, um, mainstream operating systems that had this default game built into it. And you could play chess against the computer. Okay. So this is my view of things, and I don't think it's far off. Um, you might ask other people that are, you know, aficionados, experts in AI, and they would say, no, AI came way before this. Okay. But in my view, the first versions of AI existed in uh, console and computer games, right? So you're needing to make a game that's single player and you want to make it fun. You want to make these opponents challenging, not, challenging, not predictable. So, mm-hmm. so to give you an example, this is just an analogy, okay, or, um, or a simile kind of. So you can think of it this way. If you can know at all what that was like, you know, playing against those, those, um, you know, uh, opponents, those computer opponents, you would say that there's some that are better than others, right? There's some that you can figure out all the meta of how they play, right? You could say, well, when I send the disc up to the top right corner and I do it at this speed, it's always going to catch it. Versus so it's, pre- if, it's predictable is what mm-hmm. you're saying. Okay. And there's certain set number of predictable responses to the way it acts. Mm-hmm. That would be an example of a programmer going in to the it's software, their software, in writing out certain conditions. Maybe there are 10 different flavors of responses the computer could do to you know, align the disk with it. And also there's a certain random chance that it'll just miss, you know, it'll do something that's senseless just because you want to make it you know, fair. Well, that's the example of very basic procedural artificial intelligence. And you wouldn't want to really want to call it artificial intelligence, right? Um, but it is a form of artificial intelligence in its most elementary form. Now, well, can I ask you yeah. something real quick, Zach? So that could that also be looked at as a programming thing too? Like, yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering. Okay, because I'm trying to learn about this because I know so little, and so I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. So it's like before, in my head, I look at it as like a person programming this game. Yes. So that. If you ha- need the computer to play with, it's pre-programmed so that, like you were saying, maybe there's 10 different places that ball could hit or whatever. Or 10 different responses. Or 10 different responses. By the computer. Okay. And so it wouldn't be consistently one way, of course. That would be kind of ridiculous. So I'm following you so far. So, But I think of that as like a, a programming. So could I say that artificial intelligence is programmed? Yes, in, in, to a degree, but but it's actually a step beyond that if we're talking about where artificial intelligence is in the modern day. Okay. So we're getting there. So yes, you're, you're thinking correctly. So what I'm talking about is in its most rudimentary form, its okay. most basic form. Mm-hmm. That's what programmers used to do back in the day. Okay. They'd say, okay, 
you know, let's make a random number generator and say there are 10 different options. So they'll do a random number between one and 10, just like pulling numbers out of a hat. Sure. Okay. And so to, you know, add an element of surprise with the way this computer is responding. Because if you have a perfect computer playing pawn against you, you can never win against it, right? So that's not going to be interesting. So maybe it chooses a number between one and 10, where one would be it's playing aggressively and it's going on offense. Two is playing conservatively going on defense. Three is it lets the puck completely go past it. Four, it's, um, you know, doing something on the left side of the field versus the right side of the field for five, six, seven. And there could be triggers based mm -hmm. on what the actual opponent's doing to make it more intelligent. But you would agree that there are certain number and what they say in the, in the computer world, you know, subroutines or, you know, or if statements to determine how it will respond. And you can say that those simple games, certain people have been able to crack exactly the way the computer responds under certain specific things so they can beat the system, right? Mm -hmm. So in those most rudimentary forms of, if you want to call it artificial intelligence or programmer's logic, you know, that they've designed the computer to respond certain ways, those are 10 set ways that it can respond, okay? Now let's take a step beyond that. So yes, it starts there. Mm -hmm. So that's the way that we saw artificial intelligence way back in the day, okay? Now we're at a point where instead of the, <laughs> this is starts to get kind of crazy, instead of the programming programmer programming in all the possibilities, imagine if you ran a simulation, you'd be like, what's a simulation? Okay, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll be 100% clear. I promise we're using a fancy word for our basic concept. So say for instance, Instead of programming in those 10 different options and randomly and, and the programmers writing it and finessing it to get it to, you know, work in the way that's still basic, but more believable that it's a person on the other end. Imagine instead that you let the computer play against a bunch of humans through trial and error, exactly the way that you and me as humans learn. Okay. So first, when you're playing this computer, it's not even moving its paddle to try to defend. Okay. Through trial and error, it plays against, let's say it plays 500 hours against uh, either the same opponent or different opponents. Gradually, through the course of trial and error, just like we learn as children, it'll learn when you move the paddle to the left and you block, or you move the paddle to the right and you block. Uh, the longer this computer can stay in the game, like let's say there's a timer that's counting down, the longer it can stay in the game, the more it's rewarded, Right. So its goal is to try to stay alive as long as possible, right? To not lose. And so well, all of a sudden, after you've trained this AI, in this case, it's learning from experience through trial and error. Eventually, it becomes so good that it cannot be beat. And then from there, they could dial down the difficulty, right? They could, they could you know, say at evolution number 500, 500 games or something, or... It's, it's even a longer one. Uh, let, let me give you another example. And hopefully this is not uh, too, far, too far of a stretch. So a couple of years back, there was this... Um, do you remember Super Mario Brothers? Say that again. Do you remember Super Mario Brothers? Oh, Super Mario, yes. Okay. Do you remember playing that game? It's a side-scroller. Oh, you, I love that game, yes. You, you jump mm -hmm. up and hit the question mark yes. and you get the item. That's my favorite. Yeah, it still is because it was one of the first ones I ever played. I, I love that game. Well, check out on YouTube. Um, and um, I don't know if, 
if uh, I'm not if you knew the time uh, to watch it, but people that are listening, um, check out what's called mar.io. I'm sorry, mar.io. So it's M A R I slash O. So it's Mario, but it's Mar slash IO. IO's um IO is a computer term um for like is it internal operations? I can't remember what it is, but it's something like that. So what they did is they through evolution, through trial and error, they trained a computer to play Mario Brothers. Okay. And you'd be like, okay, well, what determines whether or not you advance the Mario Brothers? Well, first off, the game progressing forward in the game always means moving right right? Because you don't move left, right? right. You always move right. Yep. So in the flagpoles at the end, which is also your goal, mm-hmm. but you have all of these obstacles along the way. You've got all these enemies, you've got all these power-ups, okay? So imagine, and this is the case with Super Mario Brothers, that every enemy starts at a given specific spot. It's not random, okay? But everything works out the same. So technically, if you were to memorize the exact button combinations, a human could do this, a computer could do this, that they could beat the level in the fastest way possible or the best way possible. Eventually, that'd be possible just through trial and error, okay? So that's what I'm trying to say is background. In Super, the original Super Mario Brothers, everything was loaded on the screen in the same way so that if I were to play the level long enough, I could blind my blindfold myself and just remember the timing of the buttons and I could beat all the levels blindfolded. And people have done this. So the reason why I'm trying to say that to you is just to make clear to you that these are the circumstances in which you play the level. So what they did is they took a computer, hooked it up to an emulator. Uh, and if you don't know what an emulator is, it's basically just a way to play Super Nintendo games on the computer. They then hooked up a controller into the computer and let the, con- the computer just randomly press buttons. And across, I can't remember, it was 500 or 1,000 evolutions. It had he- it evolved to beating the level by itself. Okay. And it had mapped what buttons to press at what time to get to the end of the level. I know that seems insane, but that's what happened. So that is an example of artificial intelligence. So what you're doing is you're letting the computer figure things out through trial and error until it writes a paper, until it produces a piece of artwork, until it... And and, and the question is, well, how does the computer know its results are accurate or what you're wanting? That's through training data. So imagine for a moment if, if we as humans tell it all of the correct answer, give it a bunch of data, like not just not say 50 images or 100 images or 1,000 images or 10,000 images, but feed this model, this system, and, and there's more to it because it, you know there is programming involved, but the way that it assimilates this information, provide it a big enough swash of um, starting data and let it number crunch to find out what is desirable in, say, a picture, or what's desirable in, say, text, you know, like in the English language, what sounds good. And if you, the more information you feed it, and the better the, the data that you, that, that's been entered into it has been audited by a, a human to say that it's what, that's the correct answer, the better it becomes. And then what you can do beyond that, this is a step beyond that, is you can then take the stuff that is starting to generate on its own, completely on its own, because it becomes so efficient and so accurate, you can then take the output of the computer and feed it back into itself. So it's starting to learn from itself. Um, So it's putting out work, but then you're feeding that work back in. It's actually 
training the model to become even stronger. And then you just have to, you know, here and there say that's wrong and this is good and just continue training. But if it ever becomes so self-sufficient, you could actually just feed its output back into the input and just keep a circle going and it become better and better and better. So at its basis, that's what artificial intelligence is. And so you believe it or not, um, I don't mean to be mean if I, if I say this, but if, if you don't know what artificial intelligence is, uh, I don't mean to be mean when I say this, but you're kind of living under a rock. Um, and it's, it doesn't mean, um, that I don't mean that as a dick to you. What I mean to say is, do you remember the nap, what Napster was back in the day? It was the file sharing site on their, on the late nineties. Most people heard of Napster. It's what caused the record association of America to come after people that were sharing music files online. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how mm -hmm. groundbreaking AI is like the Napster of this time? This is what Napster is what made lay people use the internet. That's what got so many people onto the internet. And the next thing was probably Facebook. Actually, really the iPhone, really, more than anything. Then came Facebook. And now we have, I'm not saying that that um, artificial intelligence is going to get people to use the internet. They're already using it. But what I'm trying to say is that next um, evolution, that next era in computers and therefore by virtue of that the world is artificial intelligence and i've got a bunch of examples to share with you but let me first stop and let you ask any questions you might have about it well so far first thing i thought of when you start talking about this it's like create this creating or it creates its own mastermind yes, that's a great way of putting it it's it's creation it's a computer creating thing it's like a creation and it becomes like a mastermind because yes. it's like it makes sense because there's so many different ways it can be played out and then you feed that back in so it just accelerates all those different ways and makes it so many so many options and how that will take off and just continue to grow and to actually create its its own version of something that um a human would not have to necessarily program in. It would just be doing it on its own. Am I following okay so far? That's correct. So okay. if you have enough information through enough evolutions of enough training sessions, okay, this is using processing power to do this, it'll create these very well-trained checkpoint files or these, or these, um, you know, caches of, you know, basically a brain in these large files that develop um, these algorithms that decide what the logic is going to be. So instead of the programmer going in and saying, here's all the logic, and it's all clearly cons uh, defined in a single way that cannot be changed, right? Um, and if it's if it's layered enough, it, it it can be convincing that maybe it's it's uh, another person. If it's if the programmer spends hours upon hours upon hours, the artificial intelligence can be somewhat believable. It's like a person, or it's or something that's alive on the screen, right? Hence, you know why a person can get lost in a video game is because you're playing against these artificial intelligence. But the way it's becoming now, it's able to achieve things that are almost indistinguishable between humans and. Also in the area, I don't want to get too far out of myself, but in the area of deep fakes online, that's where some of the deep fake things come from, where we don't know whether or not someone says something because they were able to make someone's, uh, they were able to take some famous figure and train using that's voice, that person's voice over, you know, 
hundreds, if not thousands of hours of voice clips and then type into a computer what exactly you want that person to say. And then you can make fake videos as a result. So that's one danger of this, right? So you can use it for potentially evil. Well, that's what I, what I was thinking because I was thinking that could this eventually replace jobs for people? Like I'm, I'm thinking, oh, it's kind of scary to me because it's such, I mean, it's the whole thing. It's a huge concept to me, first off, okay, on how it can affect many different areas of... Um, everyday just, life? Yeah, of everyday living. Like I... I'm thinking about it. I'm processing it as I'm talking and just everyday life. Like, you know, I'm thinking, could it eventually write books for people? Could it eventually, um, uh, it, it becomes like such a mastermind that it could outdo any human beings IQ. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Um, let me underline that IQ point because I want to double back around to that. Cause is that, am I like, what I'm imagining, is that real? Yes. Okay. It, it's actually kind of happening. So right, let me start with this. So first off, one example of how it could be used is there are already in existence. Um, it really started with um, an open source program called Stable Diffusion, um, which you can install on any computer, okay, that's got a graphics card. Um, and it's got a set training file um, by start. What you can do is you can feed to Stable Diffusion um, some of your own images. And you can tell it to create other images based on that other image. Um, the more popular ones, the more mainstream ones you might have heard about is it's called Dolly 2. Like Dolly, uh, not Dolly Lama. What, uh, who's the artist Dolly? Do you remember? It, I forget what the first name is. Oh, remember? yes, I do. Um, Dolly. He was just called Dolly, wasn't he? Um, his name is Salvador Dolly. Salvador Dolly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So it's named after Sal Sal Salvador Dolly, but it actually is an acronym. Is and, it actually really named after that artist? Well, yeah, but it's an acronym. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not D, uh, D-A-L-I. It's like D-A-L-E, I think. Let me see. Dolly 2 is the latest one, I think. Yeah, it's called, it's D-A-L-L hyphen E2. Um, it's part of OpenAI. And if you're not sure what OpenAI is, it doesn't really matter. I don't know why I'm making a point of this just to, other than to offer context. I think Elon Musk is kind of annoyingly referred to by everyone as like the next Steve Jobs. You know, everyone talks about, oh, Elon Musk did this, Elon did, Musk did that. I really don't think, I think he is maybe, um, people maybe argue less so, maybe a smart business person, but I don't think he's the genius that everyone makes him out to be. It's like they worship this guy. Um, but anyways, that's my own personal opinion, and you can disagree if you want. But um, one side project of, uh, of Elon Musk's is um, his involvement with OpenAI. So let me get started with OpenAI. So OpenAI, um, as it described, um, I'm not a thousand percent sure, but I think the reason why it's called OpenAI is because it's open source. So open source just means that um, these are free to download and, you know, the public contributes. That's what open source software in general is. So OpenAI, by virtue of the way it's named, right, very intu intuitively named open source AI uh, modeling. So 
what Dolly 2 does is you feed it pictures, um, enough pictures, and it's already been fed with a ton of them. This one, um, I'm not sure if it's actually open source how this works because um, I don't know what's going to come up of it. But basically, imagine this for a moment. You can actually type in what you want in English, and it'll make uh, what you suggest. So like, let's say that you wanted a 1940s Star Wars. It'll take images from the 1940s and merge it with Star Wars and create something that looks realistically believable. Okay, so you were sh you've were you shown me this before. We've played around with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is... That one we were messing with specifically is mid-journey, but yes, it's the okay. same principle. But the Dolly, because the reason why, uh, you know, Salvador Dolly is we're talking about as a very well-known artist, but we couldn't remember his first name for a few minutes, but he is very well-known. So that is the reason why they named this software Dolly, right? I think so, because... Um, uh, I'm not sure what Salvador Dali's artistic style was, but if it was realism, then that would make sense that they yes, would it name was, it. Yes, it was realism. Okay, well, that makes that's very intuitively named then. And I don't remember what Dali stands for. Um, let's see. Well, it doesn't really matter. Suffice to say, there's another one out there um, that I've been playing around with, and you can actually get on. Um, there's a chat program that a lot of gamers play with, uh, use, and then there are also other micro-communities out there on YouTube, et cetera, that use um, something called Discord. Well, Discord is a chat program. It's got chat rooms, it's got voice chat, and there are a bunch of micro-communities out there for various reasons, like sometimes, you know, people supporting um, the work of someone or, you know, like game servers, et cetera. There's a, there's a myriad of uses. It's not just specifically games or YouTube videos. You could set up a voice server to chat with people for any reason. We're talking about both text and voice chat over the internet using a program. Well, mid-journey, piggybacks on uh, Discord, this app. It's free to use. And what you can do is you can get on the server. It's currently an open beta. You can type in slash imagine and state in complete in plain English what you want. So you can take, you know, say com uh, combine two artists' styles together, a fusion of the you know two different artists together. Or you could be very specific. You could say Bugs Bunny um, writing in a... Um, in a firebird um, that flies in the air and it will generate a hundred percent brand new art just using all of the images that's been fed. And it does a very convincing job at it. So one potential application aside from it eventually maybe taking everyone's creative jobs is in marketing. So imagine instead of hiring people to prototype ideas for marketing, Imagine if you use this imagine command and you could rapidly prototype ideas for a movie or ideas for an advertising campaign. And instead of having to hire artists and spend, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of hours, but all likelihood hundreds of hours with a small team to develop an advertising campaign, you could have AI prototype it. And then once the board said, hey, this looks good. So at the very least, early adopters of this would use it as, a, as an early prototyping tool for art. In its most advanced form, it may actually replace um, art as we know it or expand on human art. I don't think it should replace human art because I think that would be sad if that happens. But is it going to influence human art? Absolutely. I've seen some very bizarre images <laughs> that it's generated before, aside from it not being able to count fingers and count teeth correctly. Suffice to say, um, the rest of it, it gets pretty accurate and 
very convincing. So, but I'm saying in art styles or or just composition that I've never seen before. It's very bizarre. It's very otherworldly. It feels like we're living either in the future or in an alien world, kind of, with some of the stuff it's able to produce. It's both, it's, if I could describe a word that describes it both, it's awe, both fearfully, but also just an amazement with what it's able to produce. You know, I have a computer for tonight because I'm learning about this, and I was just noticing, have you heard about my Heritage's all-time machine? I don't know what that is, no. It creates portraits of you through the ages, accurate outputs, great for profile pictures. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Think about this. That's a perfect example, okay? What's an example of artificial intelligence or or using computer models? What about the kids that went missing when they're children? And they do the advanced oh, age yeah, photoing. Then. That's a great. That's idea. an example of an early example of potentially artificial. Where they used to have to have actual artists produce yes. this. But do you remember in the past twenty years they've been having those those yes. age generated models? Yeah, the generated ones. Yes, it's actually from the computer. That is so. See, okay. So there is actually a good side to this too, where it could be very helpful. And that's just naming one way that it could be like if say a child was missing at age five mm-hmm. and they're there, they have reason to believe there is 20 years later and they have reason to believe that that person is still alive. Yeah. So imagine if that AI art model, okay. Mm-hmm. Analyzed hundreds, millions, if not billions of faces. Okay. But then you fed it a hundred images from your child at various ages. Like let's say from age not zero, but age one to age nine, and they disappeared at the age of 10. Okay. The more images you feed it, the more accurate it'll be. That's really fat. That's really fascinating. You know, I also noticed that it talks about different eras of time, how you would have looked in those different eras of time. Do you know what I mean? Like going back in history, like 1800s or something like that, how you would have looked. Yeah, it's quite, quite amazing. And, um, I was trying to find something. Um, it says you can use AI time machine to see what you'd look like in different eras throughout history, but it takes about 30 to 90 minutes to get the results, but it's worth it. They said, because um, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, I'm trying to remember. I actually had it mentioned on the website. I'm not able to find it right now, but hold on. You know, I found it really interesting when you showed me um, Midjourney. I thought that it was like Zach said, just name two different things. And I said, what do you mean? He said, they could just be random. And what it came up with was really, it's fun because you can actually play around with it. And it's, it's fun what it comes with, up with as far as images. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what it's called, and I had it written down because it's actually it might even be posted on our website. Um, it's a theory. Um, basically, I mean, basically, you can think of it two ways. Is um, One is the infinite monkey theorem. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before. But basically, um, the way it's described to me is if you put a bunch of monkeys in a room with a typewriter, with typewriters, okay, and they start randomly pressing keys, eventually they're going to write an actual piece that already exists, right? You would agree through random chance? Yes. That's kind of the way that artificial intelligence 
works, except you're able to guide it, you know, by saying this writing is correct. So they have a starting basis that accelerates it. Um, but there was another one, um, it involves, um, let's see, count, um, estimating the number of beans in the jar and both the above estimate of the overestimates and the um, overestimates and the underestimates, uh, they basically cancel out. Um, and I'm trying to remember what that's called. Um, emergent intelligence. That's what it's called, emergent intelligence. So what emergent intelligence is, is believe it or not, as humans, when we're counting... So you remember the game where you used to go to the store and they used to say, count the number of jelly beans and you could win the whole <laughs> right, yeah. thing of jelly beans? You remember that? Mm-hmm. So as it turns out, if the sample size is large enough, okay... So let's say you've got two people guessing the total number of beans in that jar. What's the likelihood of them guessing accurately? Extremely low, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But get this. Emergent intelligence, what actually happens is let's say you have 150 people guess what's in that jar. Okay. It turns out all the people that overestimate, overestimate the amount that's in there and all the people that underestimate the amount that's in there. Okay. They cancel each other out. And the people that guessed in the middle, they don't contribute to the, uh, to, you know, in, in, in the sense of like, even the single outliers are not going to contribute to the average that much. You, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? So what, what's crazy is if you average that sample size large enough, you will find that it is exactly spot on to the single number, single count of the number. So you can think of artificial intelligence, just like we, when we combine brain power as humans, how we can solve you know, things that can get us to the moon and stuff. You can think of the same thing with artificial intelligence. So if you feed it enough images, if you feed it enough sound files, if you feed it whatever the input is, the greater likelihood that the result you get out is going to be extremely accurate. It's going to be closer to accurate. And so that's the reason why we're getting to be crazy to the way we are with uh, Dolly 2, MidJourney, um, stable diffusions and open source ones, so it's not trained as well, but that's what's allowing that to happen. That and a bunch of you know, super genius people that work in, in artificial intelligence. But at its core, the principle behind it is it works off of statistics and, um, you know, and the machine learnings and algorithms basically um, break down everything that's happening in a way that, um, you know, it's able to produce reliable guess of the data or be able to say, does this data fit or not statistically? It's able to get exceedingly accurate based on the principle that there's so much data there, just like it would for the emergent intelligence or the infinite monkey theorem. So that's just what I want to say about that real quick. It's really fascinating stuff. I mean, it's just, it opens up just a whole new, um, I don't want to say unbelievable sort of imagery in my own mind of where we're going with this, of yeah. potentially application. How, yeah, is with application, infinite like, application. Yeah, that's from. Thank you. The infinite, infinite applications that could this could provide for, like. Okay, I'm thinking it can do it with artwork. So then I'm thinking, what about writing? And I'm thinking about 
things that people tend to have as a gift, um, which artists, I think is a gift to be a good artist. I think a good writer, Mm -hmm. a gift to be a good writer. I mean, you can sit down and write, but to be a real creative writer is a gift and something you really have to work on, just like art. You know, I mean, some people are talented more where other people really have to really sit down and really work on it, where some people could just sit down and sketch something without thinking much about it. Yep. So really, this this opens up a vast amount of different things. Um, I'm thinking one of the things that came across, okay, say for instance, Zach, I want to write a children's book, okay? Mm-hmm. But I really am not very good at at illustrations. So if I were to write the children's book, then I could use some of the stuff you're talking about to help with illustrations. And it wouldn't be, the reason why I'm asking you this is that I wouldn't be doing anything illegal with copyright or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because the computer's creating it, so no one ha- Well, that's getting into interesting aspects. This is such a new frontier mm-hmm. that we're not 100% sure. So like, let's say that we, I said, I want something in the style of Dr. Seuss. Right. Okay. One argument, and it's not been figured out in the courts yet, is whether or not these artificial intelligence models, since they're using the original copyrighted work, but- since that's a derivative work, but it's not a human making it, number one. And number two is 100% new. It's not like it's recycling elements of the image. It's recycling the essence of those images and creating entirely new pieces. But it is still using those original pieces of work as input into it. Whether or not the original artist has a, a stake or you know can be paid royalties to do this. And I think that's the reason why these current models are free. Because you can imagine how much of a headache it would be if they cost. But eventually the goal is to put paywalls in front of these and to charge by the number of samples, you know, so really, this is a gray area right now because it is a gray we area. really don't know because, okay. An example would be like, you're talking about Dr. Seuss, which I always love Dr. Seuss. If you use Dr. Seuss and you made it up with another illustrator, children's illustrator. Yes. Books, so a mix of the two, the mix of the two, so something entirely new. Uh huh. So it turns out being entirely new, but you're, you actually have both these people who are very well known as illustrators, but in combination, it makes something new. So it is a new art form. So the question is because you are using part of their art because you're using them in combination, I guess you could say. Yeah. So that's the first thing I would think about is like, is this going to be infringing on copyright or is it in any way? I mean, I'm wondering in the future if people are going to be getting sued for, for doing this stuff. Well, and this is the interesting part. Okay. This is, there are two camps of thought here. Camp number one. Okay. Would say, yes, they're absolutely, they need to, in some of these these uh, image modeling, you know, uh, artistic, you know, artificial intelligence models, they basically allow an artist to request that all of their images be removed from the model. So there's a link that they can press to say, have you found, you know, your work? Mm-hmm. You can have, we can remove it. 
So it can't make those kinds of images, okay? So that's one way that they're addressing it. Number two, when it comes to court, it's hard to say, but potentially, yes. <laughs> I mean, it'd be very hard to enforce, though. It's so vast and so everywhere. But three, here's really at the core. I guess the argument could be made just like anyone. Okay, let's be honest here. As humans, what is the first question that a musician or an artist is asked? Who are your influences? Okay. So creativity in general, whether it be machine or human, we are always seeing things out in the world that inspire us. And we're emulating that. Okay. Now, is it plagiarism to copy something one for one? Yes. But is it wrong to be influenced by these five bands and then your band is now a fusion of these five bands or your art is a fusion of these five different influential artists? No. So that's, and the other thing too is we're also reaching a point where so many ideas have been taken. Like I can't tell you, I, I, I could go out on a soapbox about this, so I'll try to keep it brief. It's impossible to find a unique username on the internet without whatever you come up with and then some number. And you could do two seemingly different words, or you could do a, a portmanteau of two words together that you think, oh, no one's guessed this before, but they have. And worse off, there's bots that literally just sign up for Gmail addresses to squat on as many email addresses as possible. And Gmail needs to do something about this. So I'm just saying, if you take my first name and my last name, okay, back in 2007, 2008, when I signed up for my Gmail address, it turns out I could not provide my full last name, my first initial, as my username was already taken. So I had to add my middle initial, okay? Now, if we were to look at it, you know, 12, 15 years later, could I even do my first name, last name, and so my full first, last, my first, sorry, my full last name, my first initial, my middle initial, would that be taken? Well, yes, because I told you I registered that at gmail.com. But what if I were to do in the number 34334? Three, three, four, three, three, four? Well, that's taken too. What about 34335? Three, three, also taken. It... it all of the ideas are being saturated. There's so many people out there creating so much. And if it's not people, it's computer programs. Just going through all the various permutations of all the potential usernames. And this is the same thing with domain names. So if you want to start a business, joeplumber.com, joeplumber.com. What about joeplumberboulder.com? That one's taken. So it's becoming increasingly difficult in, in this ever so saturated world, whether it be actual creatives, um, snatching up all of these or patent squatters or bots that are just registering all of these free accounts. If, if Gmail charged a person $5 to get an email address established, we would not be in the position we are now where you can't even use this. Like, you know how many people have to sign up with five different usernames, like across the internet? They can't use the same username across websites because they're all taken. So let me ask you something. Okay. Say, for instance... This person has a username that they don't use anymore. They had used it at one time, but they don't yes. use it anymore. So that permanently you still can't use, right? Yes. I mean, so, once it's once mm -hmm. it's chosen, it's done. Yes. So for instance, if say, God forbid, someone dies, okay? And this applies for Facebook or Gmail, both. Since you're not being charged money for it, especially. This means that people have passed away a decade ago. Their email address is just sitting there, never been logged into, and the accounts are never deleted. 
So you can see there's a finite amount of space, just like there's a finite uh, amount of real estate in the area where they can build. There's a finite number of characters at gmail.com that are available. Eventually, all of them will be taken. I mean, it depends on how long the usernames get, but but you know, I'm talking about the the easy to remember, easy to to convey ones that don't leave you guessing. Was that a four or a three? Like, why should you have to be adding numbers next to your name? Okay, if your interest is Game of Thrones, I would not be surprised that Game of Thrones one, Game of Thrones two, Game of Thrones three, Game of Thrones three thousand four hundred thirty four is taken. That that there's so many people that are fans of Game of Thrones, but for personal elements that your personal name that are becoming saturated like that. That's insane. And mind you, a lot of that are bots, not humans, but still the point I'm just trying to make is just like how AI is able to walk through those permutations, you know, to get to an answer. Um, there are lots of people um, and bots out there that are squatting on those um, ideas. And so it feels like there's a finite amount of creativity out there. The reason why I even brought this up and went on the sidetrack is just to say in this age of feeling like every idea has been taken it's hard to be original well especially just given the example of usernames when you're talking about you know having to come up with five or six different ones for each person mm-hmm. boy that really saturates it i mean it kind of reminds yeah. me of the artificial intelligence yes. how it begins to to roll into this bigger mm-hmm. bigger bigger thing where pretty soon do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you do you get the correlation with where I'm going with that? Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's where I was trying to get us. Um, so I'm glad you picked up on where I was going with that because it was really kind of a side tangent, but it was with purpose. So anyways, um, what I wanted to say is, um, let's see, think about this. What I'm trying, basically trying to say, and there's some other examples I want to mention about artificial intelligence. I want to get out there for all of our listeners to just, Google and take a look at it. It's very fascinating. It's equally as fascinating and awe-inspiring as it is terrifying. So awesome is a great word to describe it. Awe slash awesome, right? As much as it's, we live in a really cool time with technology, I'm also very scared for us too. Do you know what I mean? As a culture and as a people. Let me let me, let me me uh, frame it to this way, okay? Science fiction becomes science, fa- science fact. Let me start with this. So science fiction becomes science fact, okay? Remember the Jetsons? Oh, gosh. Yes, I do. And I still laugh at this because I thought the coolest thing in the world, I remember I was a kid, I was watching the Jetsons, and I thought, it would be so cool if you could see the person you're talking to. And I never believed that would ever happen. And this was something that, correct me if I'm wrong, with the Jetsons wasn't on their wall. It wasn't like... A portable device? I'm not no, sure. No, it was actually on the phone, like a portable okay, device it was, on the phone. Okay, never mind. So it's one-to-one, okay? When did that come out into existence? I mean, you could say as far, as early as is in the 90s with, with you know, um, chatting on the computer uh, with uh, video, video chat. But I would argue with the iPhone, 2007, right? Oh, totally. And you know what? The reason why when I went to California... Mm-hmm. I wanted to get an iPhone, iPhone because 4. I, I wanted to do FaceTime with you because I'd moved away and I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to see your face. Yep. So we both got an iPhone 4 mm-hmm. and think of how much that changed things. Okay. But also think about how technology is acted like a catalyst even for medicine or science, right? What have computers done for changing the way that we do medicine? 
Well, we now have magnetic resonance imaging that uses a property of physics. The you know, difference in magnetic fields of, of various atoms and configuration of tissue to draw images inside the body to be able to look inside the body to see if there's cancer, for instance. Okay? Something previously not conceived of is even being possible. We do that every day. So imagine with artificial intelligence. And actually, by the way, I want to mention, there are actually already, there's already radiology, radiological software that will look over the image and able to identify stuff that radiologists themselves cannot see and be able to flag it. So we're, we're already there um, in some areas. So one thing is radiology software. Um, does it also make mistakes and can it also lead to lazy radiologists that are not looking carefully at, at the... Yes, but as it turns out, it's becoming so exceedingly accurate that it's able to detect things that radiologists think themselves can't see in the original films. And the same thing could be said about medicine, you know, say blood, blood work, an artificial intelligence model could look at that blood work over the course of time and detect cancer or some biomarkers in certain configurations, certain time over a long enough period and predict if the person's going to get cancer in the next five years fairly accurately or if whether or not they have an emerging, new emerging disease. So that's another example of how it could be used. Um, uh, what I want to uh, jump into, if it's okay, we can go back to whatever we're previously um, talking about, but um, ChatGPT. So the one that most people have heard of is ChatGPT. So ChatGPT, uh, basically think of it like this. Do you know how on your phone you're typing? I'm not sure if you've ever done this before, but if you type one word on your phone, okay, you'll mm -hmm. see that there's an autocomplete word for the next word it thinks is coming up. Have you ever seen that before? Yes, or sometimes... Or autocorrect. Yes. Sometimes you'll start typing a word and it won't be the word you want. Mm -hmm. But other times it'll totally be the word you want. And you're absolutely right. The next word will come up. Yeah. So you you know uh, how, how it's split into three sections and there are three words and you can press what? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Chat GPT is that on steroids, basically. Okay. And you'd be like, well, how the hell is it able to do it? So I'm not, I don't think you've ever pl played around with Chat GPT to see it, but you can ask it questions. You could say, Program tic-tac-toe in Python, and it'll produce a working working code to create tic-tac-toe in Python. Python's a programming language. It's an interpretive language. Um, or in C++ or any programming language, you can ask it to write, I don't know if it's original code, but to write code for you. So programmers could even potentially do that. And, you know, it's interesting, as I was watching a video the other day um, that said, um, you know, don't feel bad if you spend a lot of time on Stack Overflow, you know, asking questions about, you know, or, or learning from example, because that's what programmers do nowadays. You know, it's crazy. It's not really plagiarism. It's just the cumulative knowledge. How do you, how do we learn these things? We learn things from one another. How is, uh, how have we as a civilization and as, as a race, as a people, as a species rather, gotten to be past the, you know, uh, Stone Age into the Iron Age? and made all the progress we are. It's all the forerunners before us that said, laid the groundwork to get us to our current science advent, our current um, social advent, our current, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So all of the people that created inventions before us, you think of just Henry Ford, think of how different things would be without an internal combustion engine. But then 
reverse that around and say, remember how 20 years ago, there were car companies trying to produce an electric vehicle. And back then it was just too far ahead of its time. People didn't see any value in it. Now you see people are ooing and aahing over electric vehicles, especially Teslas, which here's the thing. I've heard it's an experience, like they're, they're open window, they're very quiet. Um, but imagine running out of get juice at the wrong spot. That sucks. That's, you know, it's it's not quite there yet, but other people will argue that it is there. Well, um, moreover, I would just say that Believing that the car can drive itself is that's crazy making to me because they actually did that one test. I think someone was killed, but mm -hmm. they did that one test where the car, the Tesla car could drive itself. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to say after the experience with the Jetsons, it couldn't possibly be, but that's, that's mind boggling to me to say the least. Do you want to hear something even more messed up? It's not the one test mom. There are people that are letting their Teslas drive themselves. Okay, and when I say themselves, they have to be behind the wheel and they have to have their eyes on the road. It has like a camera inside the cabin that's making sure that their eyes are on the road and that their hands are around the wheel or near proximity to the wheel. But yes, Tesla's actually on the road. Some of them are actually self-driving as we speak. Um, how, how does that exactly work? I mean, like, so, because if you're, how, I guess what I'm trying to say, in the case that you might be close to being in an accident, what happens? Well, we already know that they mess things up. But the idea is it uses artificial intelligence modeling and a bunch, an array of sensors on board to make decisions. And they're not always accurate. We've seen there have been fatalities. And okay, so, so we're, we're not there yet. But... Tesla keep pushing it and, and Elon Musk keeps promising each year that they're going to achieve full, fully not tended to, but fully self-driving cars. But you can see this is raising a bunch of questions because this is leading to deaths and unnecessary um, casualties in the process of trying to pursue this. Not only that, why is it that we're trying to find things to do everything for us? Because then we're not going to like, what's the point? We're told that technology can do it better than we can. And while that might hold true in certain areas, there's it's become an obsession, especially with technologists who try to achieve this. Does it matter? No. You know, as humans, we are some of the most sophisticated biological computers on the planet. Well, we are the most sophisticated biological computers on the planet. But I'm just saying that it's like this. God created us, okay? And then or some creator created us, if you believe in that sort of thing, okay? As humans, if we were created in God's image, now man is trying to create machine in man's image, which is kind of... That's scary. Up. Yeah, it's kind of... We're playing God, just like you could say, you know, I, I worked in genetics, you know. What could be said about gene editing? Okay, gene editing could be used to cure, potentially reverse or cure or help treat um, genetic disorders. Like you look at cystic fibrosis, that's due to a single nucleotide polymorphism um, uh, that leads to a disruption in a chloride channel in the lung and other various uh, cells, uh, endothelial cells of the either the lung or the, um, the uh, smooth muscle, you know, digestive tract, and it leads to um, water ending up in places it's not supposed to end up. So extreme congestion 
you know, in the lung because the chlorides ending up in the, the um, not the pleural lining, sorry, I'm trying to think what it's called, uh, in, in the area of the, you know, the inside of the lung, you know, where the air is, or it's ending up inside the GI tract where it's not supposed to be, so you're having really bad diarrhea, right? So, um, but here we are using CRISPR to edit genes, which could rescue someone that has cystic fibrosis, help treat it, right? Um, to edit away those mutations. But we could also use it to engineer ourselves to be glow-in-the-dark. We could also use it to, you know, um, limit or enhance the next version of humans, version 2.0 of humans. And it really raises a lot of red flags and a lot of questions. I mean, um, there was a gentleman in China, this was back, I think, in 2016, 2017, um, that did CRISPR editing on these two babies. One of them did not end up with the gene edits, and the other one did. This was when the mother was pregnant. The mother had HIV. What ended up happening is one of the children didn't end up with it, so they ended up with HIV, and the other one ended up HIV-free. He came out in the middle of this massive... He gave a speech in the middle of like this huge conference about him doing this, and this raises so many bioethics concerns. And he's currently in jail. But right after he said it, Harvard University came out. All these universities came out and said, yeah, secretly on the side, we've been doing gene editing too. Ugh. You know, <laughs> we already genetically modify our, our you know, plants, our, our food. Genetically modifying humans, we are playing with fire. We do not know what these consequences two to three generations down the road are or what their immediate consequences are. It's like what could be said about... Um, and I'm not saying this is bad because it was necessary, and some people might argue differently, but what was necessary with COVID vaccine? COVID vaccine did not go through full clinical trial, but we kind of, in the, in the efforts of trying to save as many lives as possible, bypassed a lot of it. And do we know all the consequences of COVID? No, but we do know that it affects some women with clotting, and it leads to stroke. And we also know that COVID's more of a cardiovascular, uh, uh, affects more the cardiovascular um, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's hurting people more uh, with the cardiovascular system than it is with the lungs. Um, its underpinnings are in the cardiovascular system. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting to me is you're talking about people that are not perfect, that people that can make mistakes, okay? Mm -hmm. So you're putting all this information into a computer, and I understand it multiplies and yep. by the more information you put in everything. So basically, I think we're kind of playing with fire because we could begin to depend upon some of these things as being really accurate when they're not. Yeah. So imagine, so here's an example, one that would affect us, okay? How is the supply chain of, say, just food affected? So our grocery stores, how are they stocked, okay? The simple answer is they use technology, okay? How's that work? They do inventory, but do you mean to tell me there are people in the store that are counting how many boxes of Rice Krispies treats they have left? Mm -hmm. No. What they're doing is when you go through checkout, those are being subtracted by the, from the inventory, right? Right. And they order more and new ones are being added. Okay. And then they also have to take into account the average theft rate of a given item, right? To know how many are in stock, right? So imagine for a moment the next evolution of the supply chain is instead of 
people still coming down to deciding how many they need to order in a specific case. You have everything handled by the computer. So now you don't have, what are the people that are responsible for that in the grocery store? I can't remember what they are. Not a receiving manager. Maybe it is a receiving manager. Do you know what I'm saying? The people that are responsible for doing the ordering for the store. Mm-hmm. You can yes. now replace that job with a computer. Great. Okay. Not great, but great. We can understand. But what if that model makes the wrong decision? That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, I, I understand the pros of this, but I also see where it's not going to be perfect. There's no way anything can ever be made perfect. And if we start relying on this for medical needs for people or in a crisis situation, that may not be the best idea. Yeah. And then take into account a live example, okay? Our podcast. While we could sit here after every podcast and love listening to our voices and listen over and over and over 150 times to each podcast to transcribe it, are we going to sit there and transcribe every episode word for word? Or would that be hell? I mean, with I, I'm not saying that we hate what we do. We love what we do here, right? But would we want to deal with something so rote like that? Well, it would be a hell of a lot of work. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. And even if we outsourced it and had to pay someone, how much would we be paying them? Like 20, 30 bucks an hour maybe? To, uh, I don't know. Oh, I think minimally, yeah. wouldn't you guess? Yeah, and it probably would take them on average, probably just safely if someone experienced five to 10 hours to transcribe an episode. And that would be generous if someone was very fast at it, okay? Well, we are we are uh, employing something called, or I'm employing something called Vosk API. It's free. It is a language model that takes a sound file splits out everything we're currently saying into words, scores each of those words on how confident it is that it's accurate, and it transcribes it. And so it could be totally different then. I mean, it could turn out it could be. different. But the more the model's trained, the more accurate it is. It actually knows some of the things we're saying. Like if I say open AI, in all likelihood, it'll get it right. It won't think I'm saying some word that's similar in the English language to sounding, but not a noun that's, you know, a proper noun like that, that would know. Um, then you you run it through something called um, uh, Recase Punk, which is another free library that has punctuation back in, and bam, we have a transcript. Now, is it perfect? No. But I would say it's 95% accurate. It also can't detect, at this point, um, it can't detect when I'm talking versus you're talking to narrate who is talking when, but... Um, it does save a lot of time, so it really just comes down to punctuation, fixing the occasional word, etc. So, um, and it means that we can actually put our transcripts on the website, both for our search engine optimization um, and to improve um, our sorry search engine optimization score, and for accessibility for someone that would not be able to listen to this podcast, but we be able to you know um, have it read to them. You know what I'm saying? Or they could read it, or some variety of that, or Braille, or etc. Um, so, you know, for accessibility, it's another, another plus as well. Um, is there ever going to be like, I'm thinking about more in the medical, from the medical aspect of artificial intelligence. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you look at it from medical aspect, 
is there ever going to be laws or anything to override what a person can do? Because it's kind of scary. Wait, actually. a person or AI? You mean AI? I'm sorry, oh. artificial intelligence can mm-hmm. do. Um, as far as how far we can go with it. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, it's a good question because what do you think about the Cold War? The Cold War is we, we're told we have nukes. Russia, China, they have nukes, okay? Or these other countries, they have nukes. Well, the Cold War, and, and Hideo Kojima, he, he's a video game designer, okay? In the Metal Gear Solid franchise, um, one plot point about it, and it's a geopolitical and some, some of its futuristic game. It talks about that. So imagine, you know what nuclear deterrence really is? Is it saying, we're not going to launch the nuke because if we launch the nuke, they're going to launch a nuke, and it's called mutually assured destruction, right? Correct. But what if we used artificial intelligence in a way that said, if a nuke somehow made it onto soil, U.S. soil, and the artificial intelligence so we could all be wiped out but artificial intelligence is trained to know when that happens for sure for sure or as accurate as accurate as it can get right that that happens and we're all dead it instructs all the silos to send all the nukes right now as it currently exists i think the president has to and it's a manual process that's that's you know there's a big chunk of it that's just offline for good reason if you do your research into, you know, currently, not currently working nuclear cells, I think those are pretty secretive, but the way it was done in the 1950s, you know, uh, before World War II and after World War II, the way it's handled. And there are a lot of these computers and stuff are, tech, are, are antiques, but they literally have two people sitting in a, in a nuclear silo waiting for those codes to come through. And they live there. You know, this could spend like, you know, a, a prolonged period down underground in these silos. Um, for when the word comes around for the right code words and everything. But imagine if it ever becomes where it is like that, you know? Like if the president's dead, if the vice president's dead, if, uh, I forget what the third person's name is. Well, obviously it would be the, the um, who's the person in the house? Uh, who, who was Nancy Pelosi? What was her title called? Speaker. So yeah, so then it becomes the speaker. And then after the speaker... There was a whole show that was based off of who the fourth person is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the fourth citizen or something like that, but yeah, that's there's a whole show that's based off of that that future, where the entire government's wiped out. But do you see when we're talking about this, where this could just go go, yeah. go out of control if there's not limitations or if there's not rules or if there's not something in place? Yeah, it, it it's. It's frightening. I mean, that's real. That's really scary to me because, you know, we are in the technological age, obviously, right? But we keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I see where this could be beneficial. Artificial intelligence could be very beneficial and save a lot of time and energy um, doing some work that maybe people don't want to, that a person doesn't want to do. But on the other hand, I could see where it also could be very damaging as well. Well, the devil's in the details and the devil's in the machine, potentially, you know, like with what could be opened up. And I think this is a nice segue. You know, what's interesting is some journalists, some technologists, who've had a chance to play around with some AIs before. I've asked questions like, 
What do you think of humans? If humans were to do this, what would you do, etc.? And it's been scary. Some of their answers that some of the answers of some of these AIs have been scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they've said, um, and so let me just be clear, okay, before and help settle something before we go any further, because uh, some people will immediately go here, and I'm not saying that we're this far yet or anything. If you're thinking of Terminator 2 Judgment Day or original Terminator or Terminator 2, okay, where the AI is sentient, it's thinking. I personally believe we're not there yet, or we may never be quite like that. But the question you have to ask yourself, and the other thing I haven't mentioned about AI, and this is really important for me to mention this, and the reason why we are, some people are convinced that AI will be the end of us, you know, or that, that, that artificial intelligence will become sentient. Mm-hmm. Um, that there will be this emergent intelligence out of it that, you know, um, that is alive. Is because some of these artificial intelligence, as they're created, they model it on the neuron level. What does that mean? Okay, so in our brain, we have a series of neurons. And if you've never taken neurophysiology before, just forgive me. I'll, I will promise I'll, I might say some sophisticated words, but I promise I'll break it down very quickly. I'm not going to spend some time. It's called connectionism. Okay, so thank you for looking it up. Connectionism, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, so what's the definition of connectionism, if you don't mind answering that real quick? It's an approach of artificial intelligence that's developed out of the attempts attempts to understand how the human's brain works at the neural level and in Perfect. particular how people learn and remember. Perfect. Okay. Yes. So, so thank you for looking that up. That's so sure. great. That's perfect. Makes this podcast even better. Okay. So this connectionism. So think of it like this. In our brain, so for anyone that does not take a neurophysiology, it works like this. If, And I hope you have the basis of a neuron, but if you don't, just bear with me. So neurons are what comprise our nerves and our nervous system in our body. And I know it's not ever good to define something, define, <laughs> defining another phrase using something that's related. So let me put it this way. Neurons are a type of cell in our body that, believe it or not, a single cell can be, sometimes I think it's as long as like maybe a meter. I don't know, like a half a meter or something like that. Like sometimes like half a foot to a foot long. I'm pretty sure they're, they're yeah, something like... The longest one's three meters. I can't remember, but um, anyways, we have a bunch of these lined up, and what they are is there are these long, thin, hair-like cells. Um, you know, when I say uh, hair-like, as far as their overall shape, and they're connected end to end. And on one end, you've got dendrites, and the other side, you've got um, axon along with a synapse, and the synapse releases neurotransmitters onto the next neuron. And basically, once you receive enough of these chemical messengers from one neuron with receptors on the other one, so so the neurotransmitters are what are called um, ligands, and those ligands will then bind to what are called receptors on the dendrites, which are the receiving it and the next neuron. And if it's above a certain threshold, the, the, um, the neuron will fire, and it'll subsequently cause a, a neuro, neuron electrical discharge that propagates along these lines of neurons. But 
there are both neurons that excite and neurons that inhibit. So what can happen is, as it turns out in our brainstem um, and various other pathways in our brain, you might have certain neurons that activate certain circuits that will further enforce the propagation of information and other ones that will loop back and inhibit them. So you have inhibitory interneurons and excitatory interneurons that do that. And it turns out, and I'm sorry, this is going maybe a little bit too deep, but I'll try to do my best. These interneurons are responsible for the reason why we can differentiate and say this is different than that is due to these kinds of neurons. Otherwise, we just have constant activation. So that inhibition actually helps us to our brain to even be able to differentiate between deciding that two things are the same or different. Um, there's much more to it than that, but that's kind of the, the simile or the analogy I want to go with. So suffice to say, in the machine world, you know, uh, they, with artificial intelligence, they are actually modeling neurons in the computer. So when a machine does make a decision, so first off, we're teaching the computer just like we're being taught, but then we're modeling neurons in the computer just like our neurons exist in physical life, the way that they're gated. Um, gating is a way to refer to how information passes through a system and what the input is and what the output subsequently is. You know, it could be a stimulus leading to an action. So the argument that can be made is that even though it's in software at this point, it's not in uh, hardware. I mean, there are some, like in our phones, there's some artificial, there's some... Uh, um, not neural learning, what is it called? Artificial, I forget what Apple calls it, a neural engine. Sorry, they've got neural engines and other things that are part of the processor, you know, the die processor that, um, you know, are designed to make decisions in these ways. And they actually are physically gated, like in a way that would be neurons. But a lot of it's actually done through software. Um, they both can exist. The question is, what makes us conscious you know as i'm doing a little research as mm -hmm. you're talking and um you know turing turing the turing test turing yeah was the founder father of art artificial intelligence and of modern cognitive science and he was a leading early component of hypothesis that the human brain is enlarged or is enlarged a part digital computing mm -hmm. machine yeah he theorized that the cortex at birth is an organized, or no, organ, yeah, organized, unorganized machine that through training becomes organized into a universal machine or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was a Turing test as a criterion for whether an artificial computer is thinking. This was in 1950. And then in the late 20s, well, it's just last year, 2022, the advent of chat, GBT. T resonated um, conversation about the likelihood that the components of the Turing test had been met. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting. Can I tell you something about yeah, him? Yeah, Just absolutely. because I'm kind of really get you yeah, really the Turing intrigued test is really me. fascinating. Why don't you tell him? So basically, uh, just personally about him, he was elected as a fellow, fellow member of the Royal Society of London in March 1951 a high honor, yet his life was about to become very hard. Wasn't he a mathematician? Yes, he was a mathematician. He's known as a mathematician and a philosopher. Let me see here. 
Oh, and um, log- logician. Logi- logician? Log- no, logic. How would you say that? Logic. He's yeah, logic. logic yeah. yeah. But the thing that's really interesting is that um, his, in, um, got to get back to where I was here. Um, in March of 1952, he was convicted of gross indecency. This is to say homosexuality, a crime in Britain at the time, and he was sentenced to 12 months of hormone therapy. Now, with a criminal record, he would never again be able to work for the government communication. So they forced him to be a man or... No, or sorry, or sorry, forced his forced his sexuality be attracted to women, or no, he's homosexual. So he. Well, was I know you gay. said homosexual, yeah, not a okay. trans, but yeah, and so because he was homosexual, they sentenced him to twelve months of hormone therapy to change to try to change. That's that. why I was trying to say, yeah, yeah. Now with a criminal record, he would never again be able to work for government communication headquarters, the British government's post-war code-breaking center. Turing spent the remainder of his short career at Manchester where he's appointed to a specialty created by readership in the theory of computing in May of 1953 from 1951 Turing had been working on what is now known as the artificial life. He published the chemical basis of morphogenesis in 1952 describing aspects of his research on the development of form and pattern in living organisms. Turing used Manchester's Ferenni Mark I computer to mark his hypothesized chemical mechanism for the generation of autumn I don't have my glasses on. Etymology? <laughs> anatomical structure in oh, an- oh, anatomical, okay. Yeah. In the midst of the groundbreaking work, Turing was discovered dead in bed, poisoned by cyanide. The official verdict was suicide, but no motive was established at the 1952, in, 50, I'm sorry, 54 inquest. His death is often attributed to the hormone treatment he received at the hands of the authorities following his trial for being gay. Yet he died more than a year after the home hormone dose had ended. And in case the resilient Turing had borne that cruel treatment was what his close friend Peter Hilton called Amused fortitude, also judged by the records of the inquest, no evidence at all was presented to indicate that Turing intended to take his own life, nor that the balance of his mind was disturbed as the coroner declaimed. In fact, his mental state appeared to have been unremarkable at the time. Although suicide cannot be ruled out, it is also possible that his death was simply an accident, the result of his inhaling cyanide fumes from an experiment in the tiny laboratory adjoining his bedroom. Nor can murder by the Secret Service be entirely ruled out, given that Turing knew so much about cryptanalysis at a time when homosexuals were regarded as threats to the natural to the national security. By the early 21st century, Turing's prosecution for being gay had become infamous. In 2009, British Prime Minister Gordon Brown speaking on behalf of the British government publicly apologized for Turing's utterly unfair treatment. And four years later, Queen Elizabeth II granted Turing a royal pardon. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, there's something really important that we should mention in mentioning as a connect- connectionis- connectionism. Mm-hmm. There's something called the Turing test. Um, the Turing test is, um, was originally described by Alan Turing uh, in the, somewhere in time in the 1950s. 1952. Okay. Well, anyways, what it is, is it's a test, a way to test 
the ability of machine learning or the the ability of a machine to exhibit intelligent behavior that's imitates but more closely mimics or is equivalent to uh, or is indistinguishable from and is a, you know um actual human behavior um how an actual human being would act so so you know the question is when we were to ask a computer something like especially if it's wearing something that looks like us right like if it's dressed like us mm-hmm. so imagine a robot that's got you know a believable out out you know believable human figure but is asked a question will it be where the response or its general behavior be indistinguishable from human and if it passes the turing test then um, I'm pretty sure that means that uh, we would have no way of distinguishing artificial intelligence. So in other words, if it's believable to that degree, then it is intelligent. You know, it's, you know what I'm saying? Yes, and I had no clue it goes back to that far time. You know, that that's a long time ago. 1951, Yeah, yeah well, 52. this think about this. This is around the time that computers were really starting to happen. So early on, they kind of saw by extension what, where computers might eventually go. That's when they were big, huge mm-hmm. machines, right? Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I think the past hundred years safely, you know, there's been all forms of computers. Um, when I say that, I mean, originally it was just a bunch of, you know, like capacitors or transistors, really just a bunch of transistors and various components wired to each other, not with even a circuit board. And then, you know, the advent of circuit boards and the advent of the way they print them, which, by the way, there's this company called uh, ASML, uh, who's based out of the Netherlands. And if you want to know why there's a chip shortage and the thing about the CHIP Act that was passed by President Biden is, um, it turns out the United States is trying to get uh, access away from China to be able to access the latest uh, ability to print these chips. So you may not know this, but computer chips are actually printed using a photoresist negative, very much like the way silkscreen works. Um, and uh, so that's how they're able to fit all those billions of transistors into our computer is they're actually, a, they're an Im- it's an image of them that is projected using light uh, with a, um, you know, photo um, resistive uh, material. And then, you know, whatever the light touches, it cooks on and then, you know, washes away anything that wasn't uncooked. And then you've got your silicon that's just like a picture of the actual chip that ends up inside the, behind all that black stuff, that epoxy or whatever the chip encasing is. And then it's got all those little legs and then they go on the computer, uh, the circuit board, and then they all connect up. So it's all super crazy, but um, sorry, I went. Oh, give you an I was just going to say, say that my mind's just been processing all of this. And I was thinking... From a financial aspect, how could this impact like people who invest in the stock market and stuff? I mean, it's kind of fascinating to think about if they could predict what to invest in. Well, yes, there's a lot of it could be used for that. But also, you could also, through programming, tell it to automatically pull funds out under these certain conditions or invest in these certain conditions. And I'm sure there's some companies that use that and some people that are rich out there that you know, um, do things in that way, you know? So do you think AI is being used I think it for being, financial assets? I think AI is being used 
for so many things that we don't even understand what it's being used for yet. And when I say that, I mean both our governments, and I'm not trying to be conspiracy theory, but our governments, companies, like look at insurance companies. Insurance companies, whether or not they decide whether or not they should cover something for insurance purposes. Mm -hmm. Boy, we've been through that one. Um, Right now, I think a large degree, even though some of it's programmatically, a lot of that's manually done by humans. But imagine if insurance company could let the artificial intelligence, I'm not saying it's just, or better yet, let's say that um, this one's interesting because this is a legal system now. Imagine if determining whether or not someone is not guilty of a crime, because we still are judged by our peers, but whether or not how the laws apply to specific situation is just determined by a computer. Because we want to apply the law fairly across all people. So does that mean that eventually we may not have trials? Well, that's a good question. I think that there'll they'll still be the jury about whether or not someone's guilty or not guilty, but as far as how the laws apply, so they're all applied equally to every person, it, it eliminates context about the way people look. So, so in other words, my question is, we say in our legal system that no one's above the law, and the law is to be applied the same to every single person. Well, the problem is still subjective. The judge can decide... Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it's subjective after early on in this podcast, we're talking about how people can get out of things by buying their way out. Yeah, like an example of the show we're watching. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, this is so vast and so hard to comprehend all of this at the same time because there's so many different angles to look at yeah. this from, right? I've got two other things to say real quick. So the other thing ChatGPT can do, so I was saying it's kind of like the autocomplete. The way that it works on principle, even though people are like, ah, oh, it's alive, okay? And again, this is hard with the Turing test. Like it's becoming indistinguishable from people to kind of know the difference. You can actually ch- ask ChatGPT. I said you can teach it, ask it how to code something like code tic-tac-toe in Python. But you can also ask it, tell me about this. And it'll use all the information off the internet to write a very succinct, you can have it explain anything to you. And it's, and you ask people that are in their respective field. Like if I were to ask it a question about physics, it'll be close. I asked it a question about genetics. It's, it's close, if not perfect. So these, that's what's called a language model. So even though it's using predictive words and whatnot, and sometimes what it can produce is gobbledygook that's no good, it's shockingly getting there. And then there's also something called Jasper AI. Jasper AI, believe it or not, you can feed it a sample of your works, okay? It will write using the same style that you write as almost, I don't want to say indistinguishable, but the more training data essentially you provide it, you know, a test like let's say you kept a diary, okay, or or you've got a set of papers that you published or something. <laughs> Not suggesting you do this for this, I think, dishonest, <laughs> but you could, or you're an, or an author, you could say, expand on this based on what you input, and it'll write. It could write an entire book for you potentially at some point. It's not 100% there, but can it can it shortcut people to getting something written that would otherwise not be written? I think you could make the argument, yes, maybe it's not there yet, but it's it's getting there. It's getting closer. Um, 
so, you know, we have not, and I'm not, we're not done talking. I just wanted to kind of wrap, wrap things up from my end. This is only touching the surface on things. This is not even us really. I mean, I think we gave a lot of solid examples of some major things, mainstream things that are out there. Um, with Midjourney and Dolly, like I said, you can, with Midjourney, you can actually, it's an open beta. You can actually sign up. You just have to provide a phone number and an email address. You can log on to di on Discord and you can hop on the newbie server, their newbie channels, and you can type in a slash imagine and whatever you want. And it will produce images. And when you find an image that you like, you can tell it, you can feed it other information to refine it. And you can produce these images that you swear were done by an artist. But you can also see that it's in a style all its own that you're like, wow. And in some ways it's crazy. Scott, my good friend, showed me an entire anime show that was generated using AI. Both the sound and the animation and the story too. It's, it's let's just put it this way. This is going to influence humans in a way that we're going to see other concepts for movies and plots that we've never seen before. It's going to feel like we're living on an alien world. And, you know, while I say, oh, in 20 or 30 years from now, I think it's going to happen sooner than later. I think we're on the advent of the next breakthrough in technology where we're going to see things rapidly change again. And I don't know if it's going to be in uh, a few days from now, a few months from now, a few years from now, or a few decades from now, or a few centuries from now. But I believe it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And I think when I think to myself, oh, it's, you know, five or 10 years out, I, it's probably, there's a chance it might be even sooner. Well, you know, this has really opened up my own mind to the fact that I really want to read more about this. But my mind right now is feeling so overwhelmed by all this. I'm sorry. Because, <laughs> no, it's, it's huge when you think about this. And I mean, even my mind, in fairness, is feeling a little toast. Just I'm feeling explaining toasted. everything. And you know, to my best of my ability. Really, this is a huge topic to try to cover in just a couple hours here. But I think, like you said, we've really opened it up. And mm -hmm. I know for me, my mind is processing. Um, when you spoke about movies at the beginning of this podcast, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, wow, you know, movies. Like I've thought for a long time. There's been so many movies made. When are they going to run out of yeah. ideas? And just you brought it up now. And I, I mean, my mind has touched upon a lot of different things while you've been talking, you know, connected to this. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more. But um, I really want to thank you for, um, you know, educating me some on this because I'm just, I don't know, I'm just that my gut, my curiosity has just opened up a whole new realm of thinking and potentially like, I realize that there could be good and bad. And, you know, I like to think of the good in it, that if it helps us, that is wonderful. But I also realize that there could be some people that could take it and use it for very bad things as well. So it's a good thing to learn more about. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to say it's my pleasure. Um, believe it or not, I know may not seem this way to you, but um, you've been very astute and, and, and a gracious um, receiver of this information. Um, you've asked some really good questions. And what I love about this is even though you may be like, oh man, I feel completely out of my comfort zone and out of my element to not, you know, to be walking into this class kind of completely um, not ready for, for it to really prepare for this podcast. What's beautiful about it is to be in that, that specific phase of discovery 
and to not know very much about it. Um, I was told by my creative writing teacher in um, college, he said, to choose a topic that you're super familiar with and write about it doesn't do you any justice. It's better to choose a topic you don't know much about because then you go through the discovery process. So when you then explain something to someone as you go, as you remap the path that took you to, to, to discover, to understand, you will produce better writing that is more in line with enhancing other people's understanding of a, of a given topic. And that's who you have to consider your audience, right? I've done my best to consider the audience for this podcast, which is trying to keep it more general. I apologize that I've probably gone maybe a little bit above um, people's heads, but I've tried on, I know it doesn't seem this way, but I've tried my best to dole this down in the most basic of terms. And it's not because I'm some sort of super genius, okay? Because my understanding of it, uh, while I understand general principle of how it works and I have a better idea since, uh, like I said, I, I shadowed a few of these, um, not complete classes, but, you know, um, kind of intro to machine learning and stuff. I have a better idea how the, how the math works, you know, with the matrices. And, um, but to be honest with you, have I ever written algorithms before? I think we've all maybe in our mind written algorithms for certain conditional, certain conditions do these certain things, or even our mind in more simple terms, and maybe not an algorithm, but an if then else statement, conditional terms. But I am do not know anything really truly from my heart of, about algorithms or anything of the sort. Um, do I have some background experience in programming? Am I an interested technologist that does a lot of reading, a lot of research on the internet about a variety of different science topics? Yes. I mean, I'd even hit on quantum computers, which, you know, that needs to be its own podcast at some point, maybe um, if we decide we'd want to talk about it. But let's just put it this way. Artificial intelligence paired, if we can ever get quantum computers to do, you know, meaningful calculations beyond just um, modeling the quantum world. Um, yeah, because they can do parallel processing, which normal computers do serial processing. And parallel processing, to give you an idea of the power of parallel processing, well, as humans, we do parallel processing. It means you can get to answers much faster than you would be able to under serial processing. Because serial processing, you have to do them in order. Parallel processing, imagine instead of having one line you know, like say a Chipotle line where you go buy your burrito and you have to, you know, everything goes in order. So you have to wait in line. Imagine if you went to Chipotle and there are five lines that could process several people. That's what parallel processing is. It means you can answer more than one question at the same time, essentially. Well, it really has... Or the has... quantum computers. So that could help out with artificial intelligence and accelerate things. I was just going to say this has really awakened my curiosity. And when you're talking about subject matter, like learning about something new, that's what happens. It awakens that curiosity. So your mind goes, because I, during this podcast, I found this because I'm like going, but then I wonder what it would do with this. And could it be beneficial for that? And where could it go with this? And all of these different things just popped in my head so that Right now, I'm just feeling like my head's about ready yeah. to explode. But it's been it's been really. Have awesome. you still found it enjoyable, even if you are oh, sort it, of confused? I found it extremely enjoyable. Like I said, it the the curiosity is I'm going crazy with the curiosity about it because 
you've answered a lot about it, but it's just opened up something so new for me to want to really gain more knowledge about. So yes, very much so, because I find it really fascinating. Yep. Well, let's remember, intelligence is sexy, right? Oh, um, to me it is. <laughs> so you're a sapiophile? Absolutely. Sapiosexual? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I think I think um, intelligence is is attractive, um, as long as we uh, still decide to be humans with one another and not be uh, robots. So, well, I was just going to say, artificial is not the way I'd like it. I'd like it to be natural intelligence. Oh, me too. You know, you know that artificial sweetener and stuff. Ugh. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking of. Boy, you've got my mind going a million different directions. Artificiality. <laughs> yeah. Well, and once we pass that Turing test, maybe it's no longer artificial. But that's the whole thing is the last thing I just want to mention is there the, the debate's still out of whether or not the computers are sentient. There's argument that, you know, uh, the computer is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And if their neurons modeled in the computer then what sets them aside? How can we say for sure that a computer is not sentient? I mean, it's system. We're basically walking biological computers that, so the question is, is it the soul that sets us aside? What what makes consciousness? Or is it just such an advanced form of those organizations, of those units together? That's what creates consciousness. You know, I mean, it's the same thing that could be said about life, right? We want to the Natural History Museum, and we saw that experiment where you put things in a vacuum, you put uh, the base components, uh, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, sulfur, I think, uh, I'm probably might be missing one or two elements, nitrogen, uh, into a vacuum with electricity, and you get some spontaneous creation of amino acids with, with, uh, with heat. So, you know, the question then is, does was creation not real? Is that that really how we were made, or is there more to it than that? You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just playing with the idea. But I, I personally believe in a higher power, and and uh, I feel like there's someone upstairs watching out for me. So I believe more than that. But, but there's still that science side of me that you know looks at these different aspects and say, wow, there's crazy. Well, there's a humanistic part that I think still cannot be duplicated, and that oh, is feelings and caring and connecting. I mean, this is a computers a machine okay mm-hmm. humans have the ability to, to actually love and feel depth for others and i don't think a machine can ever do that so i i'm not going to believe that machine can become what a human is because i don't think it has a capacity that well, part of the, that yeah it, it, i agree it's just it's just you know and it doesn't have the ability to become its own character and unique individual as people are very unique within themselves. Well, you know what's crazy? Is if creativity is a measure of intelligence, it's already nailing that. So, oof. But I'm, I agree that I don't think there's any substitute, but that's kind of the argument is, you know, maybe logical fallacy or not, but it's a slippery slope. But one can make an argument with enough years and enough evolution, maybe. But but I'm with you. I, I like to believe that the computer is going to remain the computer. And I think that in today's world, what we spend so much of our time in the artificial world, the virtual world, that, you know, maybe that's the reason why we're thinking that eventually this will be a thing is because maybe some of us want it to be that way. Or some of us, just because we live in the virtual world online, on the computer, you know, 
conversing with each other virtually, you know, not just via telephone, but via text, it all starts to feel, starts to blur the lines, I think, for some people, maybe. Oh, I I think it definitely does. And, you know, I'll remain open-minded about it, but I just don't see how humans, how a machine can become a human. Well, I hope for our sake it doesn't either because, and I hope it's just emulating intelligence. It's not actual intelligence because that is going to, I don't mean to be dark, but that would be the end of us all, I think. Well, you know? you know what? I can see if it benefits humans, but if it destroys humans, no. Well, that's um, one last thing is that what you're describing is the law of robotics. Um, let me look at these up real quick and I'll just say them real quick. Um, yeah, Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. Um, and these are just kind of like, you know, to prevent a dystopian future if robots become a thing. And by virtue of that, I think they mean artificial intelligence. One, a robot may not injure a human being or through inner or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey orders given to it by human by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. What was the first law? Uh, they cannot injure a human being or be allowed to, through an activity, to allow a human being to undergo, undergo harm. Three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. I know that's like, woo, lots of unpack. But basically, the, 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 the crux of it is robots, this would be the core programming of robots to make sure that robots don't take over and kill us, essentially. So basically, when I asked earlier, would there be laws? Yeah, there are laws. Okay, well, yeah. so I mean, you you well, but this but ro- but this is for robotics, and yes, it it is by extension maybe to artificial intelligence. I don't know if it's been applied to artificial intelligence, and I don't think it has. So you know, there's so many questions to be answered, and mm-hmm. I mean, you we, we could, could keep going on forever. <laughs> we could go on forever and ever. But thank you so much, Zach, for yeah, all your welcome. knowledge on this and setting me down because, um, yeah, when you mentioned this topic, I went, but I don't know that much about it, and I said I'm willing to listen, and maybe some questions will pop up, and I a lot popped up for me. So that meant that you really did. Um, create a curiosity within me to really want to learn more. Yeah. A special shout out to our friend, uh, Patricia. This was actually a request of her that we cover this topic. My Um, sister, Patricia. I love you, sweetie. Um, Honestly, I want to reach out and and I will, and we'll go to lunch soon. Um, I'm doing better and it's been a process, but bless your heart. God bless you. I love you. And, um, thinking of you a lot. She's been an amazing friend and she's even in addition, God bless her, uh, donated some massages to us with everything we've been going through. She's been, um, a friend of mine for God. I think it's been close to 10 years now. Um, amazing human being, pleasure to know her. Um, the honors ours, all ours, but she probably say the honors shared, but it's no, the honors hers as well. But, um, yeah, we love you, Patricia. Uh, we wanted to dedicate this episode to you for all that you do and all that you are. You're also another amazing Gemini, um, so that we have in common. Um, anyways, um, is it cool if I if I roll us out? Absolutely. All right. Um, please just please check us out on the web. Our website is polychromatique.com. That's P-O-L-Y-C-H-R-O-M-A-T-I-Q 
ue.com, polychromatique.com. Um, there you can check out our latest episodes. Um, and you can also, if you sign up for an account, again, passwordless system, provide us an alias for yourself and an email address. You can then log in, comment on our episodes there. Um, you can find us on all major platforms. If you do happen to use Apple Podcasts, please, 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 sounds cliche to say, but really help, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You'd be doing us a big favor there. We want to get the word out about these podcasts as we evolve and grow. And eventually that might include you. Am I right, Mom? Absolutely. A hundred percent. We really want to get you involved. We want to, we want to connect. That's the whole thing I keep bringing up about this podcast is, is that connection. So until next time, be safe and peace out. Yep. And uh, we also eventually want to maybe have you or experts on to uh, diversify the, the voice, but we all have voice. Um, peace out. Love to you guys. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye for now.